Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash codemonkey. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Hi, and welcome to Code Monkey Talks, a weekly podcast about things that interest technologists. We're your co-hosts. I'm Brian Jackson, and joining me is Brian Demers. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? I'm great. Awesome. And also joining us this week is our guest, Aziz Shamim from GitHub. Welcome. Hello. Thanks. Yeah, we're, we're excited to have you here. Um, uh, before we start, um, I also wanted to... Uh, this is very much on my mind today uh, as a Lucasfilm employee that uh, today is the 40th anniversary of Star Wars, uh, the original release um, on uh, May 25th, 1977. And uh, I'm excited about it. Are you guys Star Wars fans? No. Oh, <laughs> oh yes. man. I totally, yes. <laughs> I, it's like I don't know you anymore. Yeah, big fan, big fan. So, I, I mean, it doesn't seem like 40 years. I mean, I'm... It's it's hard to hard to think about that number, right? I, you know, then uh, I was just thinking about it as like the when the special editions came out, like that's twenty years ago. I, I still have trouble processing it because that was like I remember very clearly and, and distinctly going to see those with my dad. The 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 having a hard time remembering it because it was painful to see the, the remastered versions. Or I, I don't or... know what you're talking about. <laughs> I I. I have no idea of any controversies you're speaking of. I kid, I kid. All right, <laughs> uh, I kid as well. Like, yeah, yeah. no. Um, I'm. Uh, I was very. Uh, I was very excited when the um, the special editions came out, um, and uh, uh, but I would love to see the original uh, theatrical version uh, someday again too. I I have a T-shirt that says Han shot first. Ah, <laughs> yes, excellent. Of, well, I. I I'm of the uh, the the Han shot, you know. Period, um, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, mentality, right? Because it's like, uh, you know, Greedo never got a shot off, right? As far as I remember. <laughs> right. So anyway, so today is the 40th anniversary, and uh, so that was uh, something that uh, I wanted to give a shout out before we started. So it was a quiet day at work. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Uh, no, it was fun. They, they had cake and and stuff. And then last uh, last night we watched uh, the uh, we watched an employee screening of A New Hope, and that was super exciting because I hadn't seen A New Hope on the big screen in twenty years. Uh, so nice. that was great. Super fun. Yeah, it, it was an exciting day. Um, yes. So uh, for our listeners, uh, the the format of our show it's broken up into three segments. We start with in the news, uh, then we will dive into an interview with Aziz, and then after that we will uh, leave you with uh, something to do. So let's begin. Our first segment is about current events, and we call it in the news. We each pick one news story we read about recently that we'd like to discuss. Uh, Brian, why don't you go first? What what did you want to talk about? All right, so. I originally dismissed this. So, uh, one uh, one password, so Agile Bits um, has a travel mode now. Um, mm-hmm. So basically, it'll remove your your key stores from your mobile device for traveling. So I initially totally dismissed this because, you know, I'm not going to hand over my personal devices to anybody. I don't care. Like, I mean, I'm just not going to do that. 
And then uh, a coworker from Canada sent this to me, and he's like, "Yeah, that's actually a thing. Like, I can be searched yeah. at the at the, the airport." And I was like, you, "You've got to be kidding me! Like that 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 can't happen, you know? Search and seizure and all this." And uh, so he pointed me to some articles, and and I was left a little dumbfounded. So um, for everybody, I guess without a U.S. passport, that's kind of super important. But yeah, I, I'm just amazed. Like, yeah, I, exactly. I can't fathom this. Yeah. And well, it's interesting. So I mean, the, you know, just to, to explain it a little deeper, the, the purpose of this one password travel mode is to actually remove your vaults, your password, your one password vaults from your device, so that while you're traveling, uh, they're not physically on the device. So you aren't you can't be compelled or forced to um, reveal it, uh, reveal anything and or catch yourself in a um, you know, if you deny, like, no, I'm not hiding anything, and then it turns out, you know, that vault was on your phone, um, you know, this is something that uh, the TSA and, and the rest of uh, Homeland Security can can use against you to, you know, hold you and whatnot. Uh, and so then the idea is that uh, before you leave, you turn on this travel mode, which, uh, which erases the vaults from your devices, and then uh, once you reach your destination, you turn uh, travel mode off, and your vaults resync back to it, because... Um, uh, for people who may have used one password in the past, they now have a um, an online service, a centralized service uh, that they offer for one password vaults, and so that's how they they manage this. So, Aziz, are you a a one password user or or any of the other password management tools? Yeah, I use one password. Um, yeah. I live by it. My whole family uses it. I got everybody onto it. I was tired of having to explain to my. Um, relatives why reusing passwords mm -hmm. all over the place was a bad idea right right absolutely yeah yeah exactly. i still have and that so, argument yeah all the time yeah <laughs> yeah exactly so are you on the so they recently uh released one password for families and one password for teams which is the these these centralized vault um service you know uh vault management as a service basically um do you use uh, either of those services uh, no, I integrate it with a different kind of file sharing service. Mm -hmm. I prefer yep. to have the files myself. Yeah, yeah, I... exactly. I I had been using Dropbox for a long time, and um, and and but I've recently started migrating to using One Password for Families. Uh, I set it up so that you know between me and my wife we can share, um, you know, uh, any kind of the shared like research you know like my you know whether it's my kid's social security number or you know my you know a shared uh, login for um you know a micro uh, 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 mortgage uh company or something like that that both my wife and i should have access to um we'll have that in a shared vault and then um and then also like my kids they're old enough now they're eight and ten they both have like effectively online presences as well you know whether it's a minecraft account or an icloud password these are things that I, I like managing for them as well. And so um, I've been using the one password for families. Um, it's That's a good idea. I yeah. haven't really thought about that, but I mean, I don't know how many times I've reset my kid's Minecraft account. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so rather than it being in like my one password vault, um, I actually have been managing it as in their one password vault, but it's shared with me so that, you know, I can edit it, but then they can see it on their iPad if they need yeah, so 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 I think this is great, but I was I was floored that this is still a problem. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Just in general, the, the the need for this is is and I would say it's mind not still is the wrong word, right? It's like it's now a problem, right? Is, yeah, right, is, right. Fair enough. Right? Yep. 
yeah, it's like this has suddenly become something that we have to defend against or, um, you know, I guess I shouldn't say we because I'm, I'm not sure. I think I will definitely be using this feature. Um, I don't know as a US, U.S. citizen if I have a different risk profile or I have a different, you know, um, uh, whether the, the homeland security is m more or less likely to force me into the situation where I should have turned it on. But I think I'm going to use it since it's so easy to use. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, it sucks that this is something that uh, we have to be, that, that, not we, people, <laughs> people who are, are not U.S. citizens have to worry about when they're coming across the border. Agreed. So. All right. Well, moving on, uh, Aziz, uh, did you have a story that you wanted to share with us? Yeah, I've, I've been thinking a lot about the ransomware attacks that are going on, specifically WannaCry, and, and, um, and what this means for uh, security and technology professionals everywhere. I mean, uh, if, if you're not familiar with it, it's a, it was a ransomware attack where uh, a Trojan would install itself on your computer and it would encrypt files and then uh, a ransom message would pop up and say all your files are encrypted, please pay us a few hundred dollars, I think it was four hundred dollars in Bitcoin, send it to this wallet and um, and it's interesting because and then you'd pay it or your files would get all deleted right in, mm -hmm. within some time and I think it's interesting because the exploit was on a two-month-old uh, security vulnerability that Microsoft had already released a patch for and it's oh, just, interesting yeah and it's just the number of people who don't upgrade their update their computers when right. security vulnerabilities come out and what does this mean for us as professionals in this industry yeah I know I think that's just you know, in this world where we have a lot of auto updates, you know, there's many different tools that will implement auto updates. I think Chrome is an excellent example of forced updates, um, you know, where you just don't have the option to like not accept updates. Um, you know, but then there's the, uh, you know, whether it's an IT company or if it's an individual who's not updating, you know, keeping their version of Windows, you know, up to date with all the latest security vulnerabilities. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely something that I think from both an IT perspective as well as a personal security perspective is something that we need to think about more. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah I, Brian, what were you going to say? Yeah, I, I, th I think I know, security updates in general need to be easier. I mean, so Chrome is a great example, right? It just works. Um, but there's always the fear of, you know, will this upgrade break, you know, my XYZ process products, you know, whatever. Um, but I don't know how many times a day that I get pop-ups for uh, IntelliJ updates. Great. But I have to, you know, it's, it's a, it's a 10 minute process or a 15 minute process, or I got to reboot my machine. And I, I did this a couple of days ago and it was, it was a 30 minute update. I'm like, you know, people don't want to do that in the middle of the day, right? Yes. You can set things up. So they, so they go overnight, but you know, if you have some process open that, that, pops up the dreaded, uh, are you sure you want to reboot or this application has blocked the, the upgrade process, you know, shut it down. You find that in the morning and, and it just, it sort of throws you off. So I think these are the types of things that stop people from, from, um, doing your updates, you know, I, two months of this is probably, <laughs> I don't think I can, uh, I can blame that for two months, but definitely for weeks. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? 
Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Um, I think that the user experience of these updates is, uh, you know, sometimes the barrier to just keeping them, um, keep, you know, keeping things up to date quickly. Uh, you know, whether it's the annoying forced update where the machine starts to reboot on me um, without asking. Um, and that's usually when it's like a corporate IT um, uh, policy that does that. I don't, I don't know if Windows does that. Like Microsoft does that on like personal editions of Windows, um, or it's just the hey, I'm just trying to restart my computer because you know I installed a new machine, a new new app, and then yeah, then you're stuck in a 30 minute uh, update because you didn't realize that Windows was going to update um, right, know, during that right. process. I think I think there's an education component to this too, right? I mean there are most of these operating systems that we use or technologies that we use have some facility of auto update but sometimes people don't know that that's a an option that's available to them or that they need they need to pay attention to this sort of stuff people have a lot of things going around and the security of their computer system is probably not at the top of their mind um, you know it it seems it seems a little silly that computers um, which are very good at doing lots of things in an automated way are not particularly great at keeping themselves secure in an automated way. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, it, it's it's all about making making these things easier to use. You shouldn't have to worry about it. Um, you know, my parents are are definitely not concerned about this at all. Obviously, they should be, but they shouldn't have to be, right? <laughs> exactly. So, so the other thing about the WannaCry, if, if I remember this right, um, was the the initial. Um, it was stopped initially, or stopped the spreading was stopped initially because somebody registered a domain. So if, it, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, there was some some garbage domain that somebody used uh, to test the WannaCry virus in a VM, and that was a kill switch. Um, so some security researcher found this register the domain and it stopped spreading uh since i think it was re-released without that kill switch but um am i remembering this correctly it sounds familiar i think that security researcher was also outed by the media <laughs> in unintentionally doxxed so his good deed was definitely punished yeah all right so um i think we have we covered that topic enough <laughs> yeah yeah, no, I, I don't mean that. <laughs> if that sounded snarky, I didn't mean that. <laughs> Sorry, I was just like, this whole out. Is, yeah, it's fine. is this the natural breaking point is all I meant. <laughs> I, th I think so. I think so. Um, okay, cool. Well, what I wanted to talk about is um, Keybase uh, is out for iPhone and, and Android. Um, so uh, if you're not familiar with it, uh, Keybase is a service that allows you to uh, publish a, um, a public key. Uh, out to other users and you validate it against your social media accounts, right? So that, um, uh, for instance, you'll sign uh, a tweet uh, using that key or the private pair of that public key. Um, and you might um, uh, put a, uh, uh, on your website, a, a DNS um, a record that also is a signature so that, um, you know, then now people say, okay, I, I want to really send a, a secure message to, the, the Twitter user Jackson. I mean, uh, um, conceptually, it feels like you're saying to Brian Jackson, me, um, but really the only thing you've authenticated or validated that it's it's the person who's the Twitter account of of um, Jackson. Uh, I've been using this. I've been, you know, they're still kind of quote unquote in beta. I think it's still invite 
only, though it's a very large user base at this point. Um, but they, uh, they're out for, uh, iPhone and Android. So now they have an iPhone and Android app, um, to use. Uh, do either of you guys, uh, use this service? I have an account. Um, mm-hmm. I think I've logged in twice yes. since I started this once was probably a week ago when you mentioned it to me. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, great, they have an app. So I'll, I I think I put it on my phone, and I don't even think I've opened it yet. I was like, oh, this okay. is great. I got to check it out. Uh, I like what it does. I remember initially um, you know, being impressed with the service, uh, but I don't use it from day to day. So okay. I, I, don't, yeah, yeah. I can't really I, comment on it. Yeah, how about you, Aziz? I might have logged into it once. I can't recall. Yeah, but um, but you you have gotten to the point of you actually do have an account on Keybase. It might be. I, yeah. I, there's a little known facility on GitHub where you can type in your username. So github.com slash your username dot keys and it'll drop your public uh, SSH keys. Right. Text. So it's very, yeah. oh, I didn't very know that. Um, similar. Oh, well, I, I know you can get it through the APIs. I didn't realize that there was that yeah. shortcut. That's cool. I guess it'll be public knowledge now, right? Ah. It's, it's everybody knows now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, because we, we have such a huge listener base. Uh, self-replicating comment uh, <laughs> uh, joke. Um, so uh, so anyway, I, I, I have been using Keybase more often now that I am a more frequent Terraformer, uh, Terraform user. Uh, one of the, the interesting features of Terraform with its AWS resources is if you need to provision... Uh, security credentials on AWS, you know, get um, uh, a PEM uh, from AWS. You can do that through Terraform, but obviously the question is, how do you get the results in a secure way? Well, it has built-in integration with Keybase so that you can say, encode the secret, you know, encrypt the secret with this Keybase user's key. Um, and, uh, And so I've actually had usage for Keybase, um, you know, other than just thinking this was a really cool service of being able to, um, you know, publicly share my, my key. I actually had a use and, uh, it's, it actually works really well. And so I, I've recently done that. That's excellent. That's Very a great cool. idea. I wonder, do you know if it can use other public, publicly accessible GPG servers? Yeah. And I don't think it can right now. I think because it, 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 um, it literally is like you put in the, the string Keybase colon Jackson, um, like it's formatted in such a way that, yeah, I, you know, I could see with the feature you just shared doing something like GitHub colon Jackson for the same kind of um, uh, call out. But I don't think that's implemented is the point I'm trying to get to. Uh, I think it's only cool. implemented for Keybase right now. That's very cool. Yeah. And so um, with that in mind then too, it's like me just now, okay, I'll I'll get the, the encrypted secret and I'm like, okay, how do I decrypt it? Um, you know, I could use the key-based command line. I could use the in-browser um, uh, JavaScript-based one that's on their site. Um, and I have a couple other options. And, and I know that they have, um, I have not used this at all, but they have, um, they also have, have a chat functionality. I think they were going for like the, the, whisper secret uh type of competitor of of a encrypted um uh, encrypted chat and so keybase has a chat functionality that i think was web only and i um i may misspeak here but i think it's also part of the app now is that you can do end-to-end um encryption of, cool. uh, does of it work on the same sort of um you know uh whatever ring of trust um yeah, I think that's the idea, right? Is that you have a key base user that you are, um, 
you know, it's it's up to you to go and like validate the ring of trust of like, yeah, like, you know, B Demers or Brian Demers, whatever your your key base username is. That's a good um, question. <laughs> that I've gone through, the, yeah, that I've gone through the process of of trusting you, you know, looking through and like, yep, okay, his he did validate his uh, Twitter account and and or sign his Twitter account, and that it really is like I'm trying to get that uh, message to you, uh, and that I trust that the key base user of Brian Demers is the same user as the Twitter Brian Demers. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean it's. It's, I think it's really, it definitely has a lot of potential. It just, I don't know if the adoption level is there for it to be, you know, the chat client that I'm going to use or, um, you know, the, the way that I'm going to share my, you know, my public key, you know, for signed emails or something like that. You know, it's, right, I think it's right. still very, just GPG and PGP uh, are just in general a advanced user functionality, you know, right yep. now. Yeah, uh, definitely. I would love for it to curve. be simpler. So I will say uh, I don't I don't use it anymore, but the GitHub uh, desktop client did a great yes. job of setting up keys automatically. So yeah, that's right. That's a good example. That is a good example. So more more like that, <laughs> more things like that would be great. Because uh, yes. you know encryption and security is is hard. Um, I think one of the good examples, uh, at least for Apple fans, is uh, iOS. You know iOS messages. Um, and uh, or messages in general because that's cross-platform with um, iOS, you know, iOS and, and macOS uh, is another like encrypted thing that uh, would compete with what Keybase is trying to do. But I think Keybase is trying to be uh, more cross-platform. But before we move on to the next section, I just wanted to give a shout out to Audible, our sponsor for the show. Uh, for you, the listeners of Code Monkey Talks. Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a 30-day free trial uh, to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Um, personally, uh, I wanted to recommend uh, an audiobook that uh, is uh, up on my list, which is uh, Thrawn. Uh, it's a uh, in the theme of uh, Star Wars today. Uh, Thrawn is uh, uh, a really interesting character. He's been featured in uh, Star Wars Rebels this season, and uh, there's a great book uh, out uh, so uh, check that out. Um, and, uh, you know, what you can do is if you go to audibletrial.com slash codemonkey, um, you can download your free audiobook uh, today. So again, that's audio, audibletrial.com slash codemonkey for your free audiobook. With that, let's dive into our interview segment with Aziz. So uh, before we di dive into our interview segment, I like to ask all our guests, and since it's a, a broad topic and different people have different definitions, but uh, Aziz, how do you personally define DevOps? That's an interesting and not unexpected question. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, it's, it's interesting. I've been, I've been in the, I have a long answer and a short answer. The, the short answer is I think it's about working better with people. Uh, generally, now in DevOps, it's the two groups that have different perspectives on software development, right? So um, the development teams have a perspective of changing software and getting that software into uh, a user's hands, whether, however that, whatever that means. And operations, people typically want stability, consistency, availability, 
all the itties that they get uh, paid to make sure don't degrade user experience. And I think DevOps started off as a lot of ways to get both of those two groups to um, work better together instead of throwing software over the wall. And it's morphed into a lot of different things that means a lot of a lot of things to different people in different walks of life and in different industries and different, uh, we call them risk profiles, right? But different uh, capacity for assuming risk in a changing environment. I think that if I had to boil it down to a word, it'd be empathy. Hmm. I, I like that. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so you, I liked, I was going to say you, you had a great tagline to start with. And now boiling it down to a word, I mean, that's you couldn't you couldn't ask for something that's more succinct than that. That's awesome because I, I completely agree. Um, Empathy is a great word for describing it. I think it's a lot of things, right? But that's that's the essence of it: empathy, empathy for people's practices, empathy for people's processes, empathy for people's mindset, right? How they approach problems and what they prioritize as important professionally and maybe personally. And, um, and I talk about this a lot with customers uh, of GitHub in my role. And, um, and it, it seems to boil down to that concept of having empathy for the different things that people are trying to do within a company in order to achieve an objective or, or in an, any organization, right? Any collective of people. Yeah. Yeah. And so tell me a little bit more about your day job. So your title solutions engineering manager. Um, and you just mentioned that, that you get to work with a lot of clients. Is, is that the type of role that you're in? Uh, you're working um, day to day with uh, different clients of GitHub or um, is it some other part of the company? No, I, I, that, that is what I'm doing. Um, I joined GitHub uh, almost four years ago in their operations team. And um, I'd run a consulting company before then. And I spent a, a year and change in the ops team building out different systems and improving availability and building tools for our developers to use. And at the at some point I, I realized that I really missed talking to customers, the user base that we had. And going out and you know GitHub did still does, we do a lot of meetups and things and that just wasn't enough for me. And when we started a, a sales organization I raised my hand when they asked for volunteers. I said, yeah, I'd love to come join the sales organization as a technologist and help bring the practices that we use and we've built an entire platform around to, uh, to these enterprises that um, typically struggle with change, cultural change more so yes. than technology change. Yeah, I am. Um... I can attest to that, uh, you know, and, and I don't mean, I don't mean that in a, in a, in a negative way. I mean it that, uh, it's just a, a real reality of large corporations. There's a lot of inertia, um, you know, and getting folks into new solutions is usually, a, a, it's an uphill battle, but, uh, I think some of the great companies, it's teams of people who are very hungry and earnestly want to have that change. And how do you get separate teams uh, who might have competing priorities, uh, whether you're 
talking about the prototypical uh, developers and operations folks, for instance, um, and uh, and getting them to collaborate. It sounds like that's kind of the position that you're in. Is am I am yeah. I interpreting that correctly? Yeah, yeah, that's that's very much so. Um, I mean, we have an ultimate goal, and that's you know uh, increasing revenue for GitHub. But yeah, of the, course, right. I mean, I mean, it is sales role, um, but the goal, the ultimately the goal is to my goal, and and I think I'm joined in my goal by by the rest of my team, is to help these organizations. They have some business goal, right, and they have some appetite for risk, and it's different in every industry, in every country. Um, it's just different, and being able to bring those practices and empathy. For them really helps um, not not only sell the the concept of GitHub and what we're trying to do, but really sell the need for um, improvement, this continuous improvement of in, in their both their technology stack and their delivery pipeline, and also mm. the culture, how they approach problems. How we we sell collaboration a lot, right? We talk about it a lot, and. Uh, and that's something that's new new in many organizations. You know, they, they build these big silos of, um, of people that are in functional groups, right? Like all the accountants sit in one place and all the salespeople sit in one place mm -hmm. and all the financial analysts sit in one place and developers sit in one place and operations people sit in one place. And, and the goal really is to figure out how we can um, guide them safely to a place where these different groups of people with valuable perspectives are being brought into conversations when it's the most valuable for the company mm -hmm. for them to engage be engaged in right? yeah no that that makes a lot of sense um i mean just from from my experience on the you know quote unquote other side of the wall um yeah there there's there is a lot of silos um and it's about you know in the role that i'm in uh, it's about being on the other side and also being that evangelist and trying to bring people together and showing that um, it's valuable, val valuable, valuable to bring them in um, sooner, more often, um, you know, whether it's, you know, security or finance or, um, you know, like I said, per, you know, uh, prototypical, uh, you know, development and, and operations. Um, yeah. So that's, that's, that's great to hear. Um, you know, one of the things that I, when I'm, trying to talk to a new team about Git, uh, for instance, because there's still um, there's still a lot of teams that, that have not used Git before or are onboarding on Git uh, or want to or are interested in. Um, they, uh, there's a lot of confusion around Git versus GitHub, you know, uh, or some of the competing products, GitLab and, and Bitbucket, for instance. And um, what I always sell it as is GitHub is about collaboration, right? That's, you know, this is, this is the part that's about collaborating. Git is the tool that allows you to do source control, um, and, and revisioning. And, and that's the space that it sits in. Um, and it sounds like that's not far off from, uh, you know, what, you know, what you're trying to do, right? No, it's almost exactly like what we try to do. And, and yeah, yeah. And it's about, it's about the bringing people in at the right time, right? Early might not, there's too early, there's too late. Um, yep. Finding that balance between transparency and um, security is a big deal too. Um, and it's not secrecy, it's security, right? You have mm. a secret for a reason, not, well, ideally you'd have a secret for the reason of security. Um, 
maybe you have reason there there are less generous reasons why you might have a secret but right but in the ideal world right in the ideal world you want to balance those two things transparency and and security and um and there's this big culture. There's this big transformation that's happening in the industry, and I think we've been using the word DevOps to cover a huge amount of things that have been happen happening, um, all the way from technology innovation, uh, automation, pipeline development. Uh, you know the the stuff that came out of Etsy a long time ago. The measure everything, measure all the things. Um, it all comes under this big umbrella because we need a word to describe the the act of changing the way we do things to make improvements, and we just chose that word. It could have been anything. I mean, we could have picked a different word for it. it would have been yeah. yeah, and there there seems to be that uh, uh, you know a movement not against it, but just for clarifying it, right? And you know if you can't. For instance, the argument I'll make is if you can't replace, you know, the the phrase DevOps with the word collaboration, then you're it, you're probably in the wrong space or you're thinking about it incorrectly, or um, or, or any sub value of it, right? So right, right, yeah. I think beware of it becoming too much of a noun. Like that yes, yeah, yeah. yeah no, that's a good point. DevOps is the next agile or the current agile, uh, right? I mean, it's it's that right. that word has been overused. Everybody has these these teams defined by this, but yet they're they're opposed to the original meaning. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a a, a talk by uh, Dave Thomas um, where he talks about agile is dead, and he means the capital letter, uh, the noun agile, as opposed yep. to the adjective that he used in the Agile Manifesto or the Manifesto for Agile Development, I, I think it's called uh, originally, where Agile was a, was an adjective. Right? Like, hey, this development is at now Agile as opposed to some noun that uh, became less and less well-defined. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I think I, as we're talking about it, I definitely think DevOps needs something like that. You know, that's the hard part is that you don't have it, it is not itself an adjective right and so it's to replace it with adjectives or adverbs or whatever the gram grammatical thing it should be rather than the noun i think it needs to be more an action than an item right yeah. and that's that's basically what i'm trying to say is is it's a bunch of activities and the activities i think all need to be viewed from the place of empathy Right? So if you're building automation, well, how are your users going to... If you're building a product, how are your users going to use your product? No matter whether your product is something that faces end users, faces internal developers, faces our sales team. We have we have chat ops at GitHub that our sales team uses right? Like uh, to do a bunch of different things. Um, our attorneys use uh, GitHub and different products that we've built for them internally so that they can manage their workflow. And that's awesome. It's it's crazy. No no company I've ever worked at works at the, works the way GitHub works. It's it was definitely an eye-opening experience joining uh, GitHub. Yeah, but I'd make the argument that more companies should. Uh, and more companies are. And yeah. I think that 4 years ago it was unusual. I think um, but as these practices become more pervasive and and frankly as people leave github and go to do other things and and as githubbers go out and spread the word about how chat ops and 
and um, you know the DevOps tooling that we use and the automated pipelines and all different kinds of things like this idea this concept of collaboration as a platform um, hmm. is I, th I think it's spreading um, and and we're only all going to benefit from it and maybe even things like WannaCry will someday be you know a relic of the past like ransomware what's that yeah what's, it was like it was like piracy <laughs> yeah I, I i definitely think it's spreading i i was hanging out with a with a friend of mine who works in sort of the the parking industry so the hardware and software around parking and he was all excited about the slack bot that their their team was using and they can inspect all these sensors across a um you know, a parking garage, basically, um, cameras, whatever they can, they can expect, they can get the statuses, um, through a, a chatbot now. Oh, and cool. I mean, and, and that's an industry that is, uh, probably seen as sort of behind the times, right. Parking and, and it's, um, but it's not anymore. So I think these things are spreading. Yeah. You know, cause I'm sure if, if people aren't familiar, like I, I, some of the parking structures uh, near me, uh, being in the Bay Area, very high tech. But you know, you, you drive up to a uh, every spot has a, a green light, red light sitting over a top of it and detects whether there's a car in it. So I totally get where you can have that type of automation um, at that level if a um, a parking garage has adopted that type of technology. Um, and so it's it's a mix of being able to pivot and, and have the resources to adopt that type of technology to then take it to the next level of, of you've got the, you've got the data, the, you know, the input of, you know, what, what spot, what slots are free and what slots aren't, um, so that you can then put like chat, chat ops type automation around it to, uh, to make that types of queries. That's really interesting. Um, and, and it's a great example. Uh, I was wondering as he's, uh, for our folk, you know, I, I am a follower of GitHub as, you know, a quote unquote fan of it. Um, so you're, you know, the, the, the examples that you were mentioning about legal, for instance, um, having, you know, using GitHub, uh, some of our listeners might not even really understand how in a traditionally non-technical, um, uh, silo in a company, gets into that type of technology. So would you have some examples that you can share of how some of these, you know, more traditionally non-technical teams are using GitHub? Yeah. Um, yeah. Legals, our legal team, I think is at the forefront of using it. They, we use, um, we use GitHub issues for most work. Uh, the fact that we can discuss legal documents and track the changes in a legal document using Git um, is is really helpful. The, the the ability to I think the, the really the baseline they use it for is communication a communication platform. Not mm. because um, attorneys generally the the ones I deal with generally uh, ship contracts back and forth between different uh, attorneys and different company and other companies. Um, it's not always easy for them to say, hey, come work on this in this GitHub repo with us, right? The, the other attorneys may balk because because I think we we might have self-selected a bunch of people who want to work that way. But um, right. But the, com the communication model is really interesting. So being able to pull people into the conversation and have a history retained is very valuable. Um, we use 
we use issues, like I said, for tracking contract negotiations. We use it for tracking um, external legal issues that we run into. We, uh, I can't really talk too much about the the other legal issues, but um, sure. But we we do. It's it's basically a thread, right? And a thread that exists in um, in context of other conversations that are happening that you can link between. And right, that's right. the most powerful part that I think non-technical users find uh, valuable. So is is it a tough sell to uh, the non-technical? So so for example, um, the team that I'm on is actually pushing GitHub for communicating like our, our our blogs. And so with the blogs, you have you have you know technical authors, you have tech writers, you have um, just just the more um, marketing type person right like less technical people um so has there been any pushback from from that uh, category of, of person yeah the the non-developers yes that's that's probably a better way to put people it the non-developer yeah people who don't work with code on a daily basis where like code diffs aren't helping um not pushback um sometimes i'll say that the the we, we try to drink our own champagne if you will, like, uh, and use our product maybe more frequently than it's ideal for, more use cases than it's ideal for, and um, but that that may lead to some weird edge cases where we have to work around, um, like writing presentations and then doing silly things like extracting JPEGs and sharing them. But uh, but I'll say like you brought up marketing, for example, right? I work I work with our marketing team. Our, uh, fairly closely and almost everything we do is in a github issue or a github pull request occasionally we'll drop into another tool like a google doc or something that we can share or a keynote that we can work on together but for the most part you know there's there's these really good steps of doing the work and most of the work for marketing is you know the the stuff that i contribute to is copy editing copywriting and I can't think of a better tool to use for collaborating on pieces of text than than a Git repository with you know a visual diff. Agreed. I definitely agree. Um, so uh, kind of going back to something that you said earlier, though, um, and and I think you're in a perfect position to evaluate this. Is it self-selecting in GitHub as a company with the people you hire versus? You know, you work closely with clients who maybe don't have that luxury to self-select uh, folks who are have the appetite for that type of a model. Um, do you think that it can be successful outside of GitHub um, when maybe you don't have that luxury of self-selecting? Yes. Uh, I mean, I don't think I know. Uh, I know it's successful. Um, it, it's surprising, actually. I think there's there's two draw draws to people who are not technical or who don't work with code on a daily basis why they would want say an account on uh, github that their company is using or internally on their github you know their on-premises deployment of github enterprise it's because it's valuable to them to know what's going on and that's why they jump into it um, sometimes it, it's not the code right uh, one of your previous guests said you know the code writing is easily the the smallest 
amount of time you spend on software development, right? Right. If, if you amortize it across the length of uh, an app, the life cycle of an application, the development part is vanishingly small. And all the other activities, the non-technical pieces that we call them, which are highly, I would say, highly specialized, but they're not code. They're not, it's not the act of writing new software. It's maintaining software, designing it, describing it to customers, describing it to users, um, generally extracting valuable information about its behavior and planning for its future and planning for its retirement. I mean, these are all activities that exist outside of software in code, but um, it's incredibly valuable for people like financial planners and marketing people and um, people who are responsible for exposing the software to uh, the user base or responding to the user, like support people, right? Responding to um, users about the software that's running or the application that they're using. Legal teams, and the list goes on and on. I think there are way more soft, there are way more non-software developers that are interested and can find value from the software development process than we can imagine. And uh, and I think it it's part of this empathy thing that I'll just keep harping on. Right? We have to we have to understand that they're all vested in the success of this software. The CEO is vested in the su success of this software. Uh, he may not write a line of code, or she may not write a line of code, but she's definitely invested, right, in the success of it. And um, bringing them into the conversation, bringing them into the activities that are surrounding all of this application development and ultimately value creation for the business is really val valuable. It's really powerful. And when we are lucky enough to have a customer who wants to dive completely into the experience, we see a huge uptick in how many people touch a specific software project, making it better. Cool. And for the record, I, I very much agree. Uh, I'm a, a glass half full kind of guy. And also in my experience, my hands-on experience, I, I also have met many people who do not work with code on a daily basis who are very hungry for, um, a better process, uh, you know, a, a more performant process, a faster turnaround and iteration cycle for the things that they're trying to do. Um, and many times I try to, uh, whether directly or indirectly apply, uh, you know, whether it's Git, Git flow, you know, the, the concepts of source control, um, the ideas of inputs and outputs and, um, you know, known extensible, uh, architectures, but brought to just simply like, hey, can you hand me that document in a specific format every single time so that like we are talking the same language? Uh, very, very, people are very, um, very hungry uh, for that type of um, sensibility. I agree with you agreeing with me. Awesome. <laughs> the, well, I'll, that... <laughs> if, I, if I can add a, a last thing, there's, you know, that yes. famous quote um, from Linus Torvalds, the um, many eyes make all bugs shallow, right? I think it's generally applicable to the whole business value creation prospect or process, right? Which includes software now, right? Like almost every piece of business value has is tied to some software somewhere, right? And, yep. and I think 
you can generally apply that that philosophy to bringing more people into the software development process makes the process better. I agree. So I, I I've had up until recently a a sort of hard time uh, separating GitHub with Git, uh, and, and that's not to say I I think you know personally I think. Uh, Git is so popular now because of GitHub, right? But me, being a developer and coming to to both Git and GitHub, you know, from a you know looking for better source control, uh, and and having gone through a lot of the pain points of Git on the command line, um, up until recently, I've I've thought, well, look, Git is for developers. It's super complicated. GitHub does a really great job of of hiding all those those complexities. You know, behind the curtain, but but it's a tool for, for developers, right? And I don't know. It, I, it was probably very, very recently it, the the light came on, and someone was, was was talking to me about this, and and um, it's so easy. Like we we edit Markdown files now, right? And you don't have to know a single thing about Git to to edit a Markdown file and submit it, and that's it. That's all you have to do. Um, so. Have you used the the wiki functionality on GitHub? Oh yes, yes, yeah. yes. So yes, that's yeah. backed by a Git repo. You oh yes, yeah. I, I I've actually had to deploy sites. I, I love that feature. Like I I've uh, you know cloned the the branch. I think it's a it's a it's a um, it's a branch. You clone it and then I deployed it deployed the code somewhere else or deployed the the static site somewhere. It was nice. it was yeah. great stuff. Yeah, and, and just to clarify, so the wiki is its own repository. Then yeah. there's also the fe the feature of GitHub Pages, um, so that you can have a site uh, yes. associated with a repository or with a user. Both have their place, and both are lovely. Uh, they are both <laughs> things that I I, I use uh, rather extensively uh, when I can uh, when we're on a, a GitHub based um, uh, team. So awesome. Uh, so I, I think we're running short on time. So uh, I'd like to thank Aziz for joining us today. Aziz, where can our li listeners find out more about you and uh, what you're working on? Um, I, I'm on Twitter at Aziz Shamim. is my username everywhere, basically, on the internet, on GitHub, on Twitter, and soon on Keybase. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, Brian Demers. Brian Demers, all one word, uh, also on Twitter. And I can be also found on Twitter. I'm at Jackson, J-A-X-Z-I-N. Uh, but before we go, let's leave our listeners with something to do. This is where each week we'll leave you, the listener, with something to watch, read, play, or try out some other way. Uh, Brian, what did you want to leave our listeners with? All right, so uh, I got to play a new board game. I've played this twice in the past, uh, I guess, week and a half or so. So it's the Game of Thrones board game. So Game of Thrones board game. Um so it's based on the book. Uh, I have never read the book or watched the show. I'm I'm sort of an outcast. I get what? Yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's on my list of things to if do. If you said but... one or the other, I would have been like, yeah, okay, that's understandable. But, but neither <laughs> is. Yep. that blows my mind. Yeah, it's just. But the so... board the board game itself is great. So it's it's based on um, you know various kingdoms and it's kind of risk esh, but yeah. but also. Um, sort of um, strategy. So you, you have, I, I really can't explain it, but uh, you, you, it's like a 10 turn game. And there's lots of interaction between um, the, you know, the group of people you're playing with and it's, it's yeah. a good social game, but, but it also has the, the, um, 
you know, the strategy aspect to it as well. So yeah, and do you end up playing? It. Cool. Do you end up playing as like one of the houses? Like you do. House yep. Lannister or Stark or something like that. Yep. Yep. The, yeah. the first time I played it, I did terrible. I didn't understand sort of the the strategy, the the military strategy portion of the game at all. Not yeah. having not played that many many uh, games of that type. The second time I played it, I was ready to dominate. So I go in, make a big start, and then I flopped because, again, I still don't understand military strategy. <laughs> but it, it was great fun. And and you don't think you were at a disadvantage not disadvantage not knowing the characters and the nope. houses and who they nope, were? Nope, not not at all. So uh, a friend of mine is a big fan of the both of the books, the book series, the TV show, uh, and this game. This is one of his whatever top five games. And uh, you, you don't need to know the, the history at all. Um, but you know it helps to sort of for, sort of theme theme wise, but sure, it's not a requirement. Sure. Oh, cool. Well, that's good to know. Um, yeah, because I'd be worried about introducing it to a friend or somebody who didn't know or care about the story. Nope, so. there was two of us that had never watched it or or read the book, so I'm not alone. Cool. <laughs> All right, you're missing out, but uh, you know, <laughs> but that's interesting to know. Cool. Um, uh, so Aziz, uh, what did you uh, bring our listeners? Um. Oh, well, it's a little backstory. I, I live in Nashville surrounded by tons of amazing musicians, and I'm a horrible musician, but I like playing music and like finding music, musical instruments to play. And I was at the Ren Fair a few weeks ago, and I picked up a, an ocarina, like a tiny little flute. Oh, um, cool. may know it from the Legend of Zelda game. Right, right. That's yeah. what I know it from. Ocarina of Time, yeah. And... I mean, it's, it's great. It satisfies all my requirements. It's easy to play. Um, you can sound terrible and still have a lot of fun. And it's loud. Oh, that's Very awesome. Nice. Now, is it is it four holes? Is, do I remember that correctly? It's, it's Yeah, so the, there are multiple ones. There's like a 12-hole one, a 10-hole oh, one, okay. I think. I have a... It's five, so it's four on top, one on the bottom. Okay. And you wear it around your neck like a necklace. Oh, that's cool. I remember uh, Smoothie had an app where you could, yes. uh, in your phone, you could blow into the microphone and simulate having an ocarina. And uh, I enjoyed playing with that. The novelty wore off, but uh, I, it, it took a while for it to wear off. I, I went back to that app, you know, probably for every, you know, on, off and on for like a year. So that's I'm, cool. I'm going to have to check that out. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge Zelda fan and I'm sort of pushing that on my child um so he's always making zelda things for me um so i'll i'll definitely have to go look for one of these i, I bought one also for my children and it's um it's great because we can be very loud together and terrible. <laughs> it's just tons of fun they're not even pitched the same so it's just all over a terrible experience but it's so much fun that's that's awesome. Yeah, me and my son have been playing Breath of the Wild on our, on our Wii U. Oh, and fun. so, yeah, and so uh, there's no ocarina in it, so I haven't gotten hooked on that. So, um, but maybe, maybe, maybe I'll just say this is, you know, this is something that Link would have and yeah, it'll and, be enough. And, and you can blame me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, he has a drum, he has a full drum kit in his room. So uh, I don't think anything can be louder than that. It's all over now. <laughs> yeah. Challenge accepted. <laughs> um, and so, uh, what I wanted to uh, bring uh, our listeners, uh, it might sound very self-serving, uh, but I swear if I worked at Lucasfilm or I didn't work at Lucasfilm, this would be what I would be sharing with you today, which is go watch Rogue One and A New Hope, like back to back, and 
I swear it's a great experience. Like, um, I didn't get to watch them back to back, but just rewatching A New Hope after I've seen uh, Rogue One, uh, there was parts of it that landed very differently uh, after having seen Rogue One. Um, I mean, just even the, reading the opening crawl um, after seeing Rogue One, uh, it was a very different experience. So, um, which, whether which one first? I would do Rogue One first. I would do yeah. Rogue One and then uh, and then uh, A New Hope uh, would be my recommendation. Um, and it was a really cool experience, you know? Um, I mean, especially if you haven't seen Rogue One yet. Obviously, see Rogue One first uh, because my recommendation is, is about re-watching A New Hope now having the context of Rogue One, I think is a really awesome experience. And uh, I just experienced it last night uh, for the first time. And I was like, wow, that was... That was really cool. It was, Rogue One is such a great movie, and it made it me like, love it even more. It is, yeah. I, I've wondered how, after seeing Rogue One and going back and watching the other ones, how, how they would stack up. It, it's hard to go watch a, an old movie for me now, just because the mm. the pace and the, the cinematics. I mean, everything's very just different. different. Um, yeah. Not to, not to say that I, I, I wouldn't make an excuse to go watch those movies, but <laughs> um, that's good to know. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. It's it's fun to see how uh, they took little nuggets and little lines from A New Hope and basically turned that into big, you know, plot points and story points in Rogue One. And so then now the inverse is like things land very differently, uh, having you know seen Rogue One and, and then rewatching A New Hope. Right. I mean, I remember the ending of Rogue One, and I was like, oh, that's the that's that's how the other movie was, and and uh, but yep. but I I haven't gone back and watched it since to, to see how much they line up cool well that's what i recommend awesome did you great have you heard of the machete order the- uh yes, yes. yes. that's actually how uh, <laughs> I, I i introduced my children to star wars with them same. using the machete order so. same but but that doesn't include rogue one or no uh, or, or the next, so yeah we're gonna exactly. need a jackson order yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know you're right, man. There, there is definitely a new order, um, but I, I believe the official line is um, is to watch them in release order. I believe um, is is what the company recommends. But uh, yeah, don't quote me on course, it. Um, <laughs> it's like, oh, I really like my job, so um, I, I'm like, I'm treading a line here that uh, I, I should probably avoid. Um, so, Brian, <laughs> take it away. All right. So that wraps up another week. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Uh, definitely check us out on our website, codemonkey.fm. Uh, send us email feedback at feedback at codemonkey.fm. Uh, we're on Twitter, Slack. We have subreddit, everything. All the links are on the site. Check us out. Yeah, yeah. And um, we'd love to hear if people have topics or recommendations for speakers. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, um, whether through email or, or uh, one of the other methods, uh, Slack or, or our subreddit. Um, and also, if you like this episode, do us a favor and review us on your favorite podcast finder of choice, be it iTunes, Google Play, Overcast. Oh, I just made a mistake. It's not called iTunes anymore. It's Apple <laughs> Apple uh, Podcasts. And, um, it's still uh, iTunes. That would, I know, I know. It's going to be iTunes forever. Uh, but I do need to change the show, our, our show notes um, so that I don't misread it again. Uh, and then uh, that would really help us get heard by more people. Um, and so uh, thanks again to Aziz for joining us. It was great to have you on the show. And um, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.